but predominantly our growth over the last year has been pretty much solely drive-through. We've actually doubled our drive-through estate in the last 12 months. It's where all of our effort and time is going. With growth, it is very significant. If you speak to any expert in the coffee industry right now, they'll agree that a drive-through is the next big growth area over the next three to five years. And now, like, you can be in really rural parts of Washington and Oregon, and there will just randomly, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of houses around, but there's a coffee kiosk. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Today, we're exploring the business case for drive through coffee. America is the birthplace of all things drive through and in a recent survey conducted by our own research team here at Allegra World Coffee Portal, more than half of US respondents said they would prefer drive through over a walk-in coffee shop experience. Beyond the US, drive through is increasingly popular. And later in this episode, we're going to hear from Kevin Hydes of Tim Hortons about the growing popularity of drive through in the UK, and Brett Bolwell covering the growth of drive through in Australia. But before we go any further, what is drive throughs real appeal? To answer this, here's a snippet from an earlier interview we featured with Russell Helbling, a retail advisor in New York City. We interviewed Russell for our episode Location, Location, Location back in March this year. drive throughs well, you know, 10 years ago, drive through was a nice to have, right? But it wasn't the core of the business. It was still the cafe business. It was still third place business. And I think that most coffee operators, even the other great third wave guys out of New York City, it was the same thing. You're a cool cafe where people come to hang. But as things have shifted and we've realized that coffee is convenience, coffee is in the morning, people want to be in and out and get on their way, drive-throughs make that possible. And a drive-through adds so much convenience for the customer that it's definitely the future, I think, of what every coffee operator is going to do. And whether it's, again, Starbucks or a guy out of the city like Gregory's Coffee, who I know has been looking at drive throughs or Dutch Bros that's making a big push drive throughs across the country, whether it's micro drive throughs um, you know, Duncan leaning in much more to drive throughs Everyone is leaning into drive throughs And the, I think that COVID just accelerated that need when people couldn't come into the store. But it's a sound business model because it's the ultimate convenience. You don't have to get out of your car. It could be rain and sun, snow, doesn't matter. You can have your kids in the car on the way to soccer practice. You want to get your coffee. It's easy. You pull up, you order, and you're on your way. And I think that drive throughs are the most important thing to coffee convenience going forward, um, especially in the suburbs. So it's clear that drive throughs appeal lies in its convenience. That's why many coffee shop chains, such as Starbucks, have embraced this format. Now let's explore drive throughs surprising popularity in the tea-drinking nation of the UK. Earlier this year, Allegra's research revealed Costa Coffee had the most drive through sites in this market with 275, closely followed by Starbucks with around 250. Now let's speak with Kevin Hydes, Chief Commercial Officer for Tim Hortons UK and Ireland, a Canadian coffee and food chain with over 4,500 sites globally and rapidly opening 65 UK restaurants in the last five years. Welcome, Kevin. 
Hi there, Jeff. Great to speak to you today. Thank you for having me here. Drive-through topic of the day. How many of your stores have a drive-through component? The 65 currently open, we have 49 drive-throughs. Drive-through is the most sort of significant channel of property development that we have, and it's where we are focusing almost all of our efforts in terms of driving our property growth. We do have sites in shopping centres and high streets, but predominantly our growth over the last year has been pretty much solely drive-through. We've actually doubled our drive-through estate in the last 12 months. It's where all of our effort and time is going. Those 65 stores that you have now in the UK, how does that compare to the total estate of Tim Hortons worldwide? Total estate, Jeffrey, we're at just over 4,500. Majority of those are in the domestic marketplace in Canada. But some of the biggest international marketplaces that are operating are in the Middle East, in the UAE, and in Saudi. The UK is a significant player now in the international portfolio alongside businesses in China. And we have growing businesses in Spain, in India, which we opened a couple of months back up in Delhi. And I think I believe that launch has gone very well. And also can be found in Philippines and Thailand and in Mexico as well. So, so it's a fast growing international business and desire to really build a, a global brand under the Tim Hortons banner. And many people might be surprised that drive through actually works in the UK, although um I've had a little bit of a look at Allegra's data on this topic, and it seems that there were more than 200 new drive-thrus added to the UK in the last year. So there is something going on in drive-thru in the UK. I wonder if you could give us a little bit of a, your view on why drive-thru is working so well in the UK. I think the market's probably about 2,500 now, roughly, in terms of the total number of drive throughs But we see the growth really is driven by a few factors, really. I think, first and foremost, we're in a kind of an era which is driven by consumers' requirement for immediacy. And in the world of sort of a busy lifestyle, I think drive through can really service many customers on many different occasions. When I look at our drive throughs and I look at the customers that are going through the drive throughs it, it kind of really ranges in terms of demographic profile from busy professional people that are on the go and needing to recharge the batteries to organisations and groups, and the police service, the fire service public servants and again kind of it's that recharge but then you see all the sort of the families as well which are utilizing drive through and how they're trying to fit in their busy lifestyle and busy schedule with you know food and coffee on the go and so I you know I really see that it serves a, a real purpose to meet multiple consumer needs and I think that people are obviously eager to ensure that they provide themselves with those daily treats. And I think particularly it's going to be even more important as we move through the next couple of years that with some of the sort of financial challenges that people are bearing, that I think I suspect drive-through will continue to develop and continue to grow. Do we see any differing behaviour from, say, what happens in North America and the way North America behaves relative to drive-throughs, you know, compared to the UK? I think the biggest difference we see is one of frequency, and that's often driven by the kind of sort of volume of coffee that's purchased. So if I look at a sort of a Canadian drive-through Tim Hortons site versus a UK Tim Hortons site, they we definitely don't sell as much volume of coffee in terms of the sort of frequency. And, and, and what I mean by that is I think that's characterised by 
the types of coffee that we sell as well. So we, we sell a lot of brewed coffee, but we predominantly sell espresso-based coffee in the UK, whereas in North America, it's still predominantly a brewed market. And the purchase frequency of brewed coffee in North America is far higher than it is anywhere in the world, I think, I believe. And I think that does drive a difference in terms of the levels of frequency and volume and size of products that are getting served in North America versus the UK, where the majority of our consumers are still purchasing an espresso-based coffee, a latte, a cappuccino, flat white, for example. That's probably the biggest difference. Do you think the UK could ever reach the same levels of penetration that Canada does or the US does in terms of that adoption of just even the idea of doing drive-through? I certainly think it's going to grow. Uh, I certainly think it's going to be significantly growing over the next few years. In terms of the making the sort of same level of penetration, I, I think... I think it's unlikely to hit mm. that kind of level. And, and I think the reason why I'd say that is that it's down to things like town planning and city planning is very different in the UK than it is mm. in North America. If you're outside of a major city, and I'm, I'm not talking about sort of New York or Chicago yeah. or something like that, but if you're sitting outside of those cities and you want to go out for food, well, typically within that major town, there'll be one strip of, I guess, retail and food and beverage convenience available to you and lots of land. And almost that kind of strip can continue to grow, if that makes sense. It's mm. kind of not really limited too much by space or land. Whereas I think if you look at the UK and the way in which drive through has been positioned, it's often roadside locations, but it's almost in, always in little pockets of roadside locations, or it's sitting on a retail park. And therefore, I, I sort of suspect that there's still a long road to go in terms of yep. a runway, but I suspect it will run out at some point, yep. which will mean that the penetration of available drive-throughs will end up being lower than they are in North America. What's next for Tim Hortons? We're aiming in next year, in 2023, we're targeting about 40 or so new openings, by which point we can sort of truly say that we'd be pretty much nationwide available mm. uh, in the UK. This year, we've sort of, We've really started to sort of test the extremities of, you know, we're opening in, in, in Ipswich, in Plymouth, uh, we're opening in Swansea in a few weeks' time. Um, and, um, uh, and we're working really hard to try and bring the brand further south. And so we're, we're looking forward to a really positive year and, and really sort of driving and development of the growth here in the, in the UK. That's fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us, Kevin, here today on Fifth Wave. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. It's lovely to talk to you. It's clear that Kevin sees a lot of opportunity for growth in coffee drive through all across the UK, despite the fact that town planning constraints will ultimately cap drive throughs to lower levels than in North America. Australia is another region where drive through is burgeoning. To understand the growth rates and potential of the market, we speak with Brett Bolwell, CEO of coffee equipment companies Barista Technology and Barista Equip. Brett has more than 20 years of experience in the coffee equipment industry, and his business works closely with Mac Cafe, the largest drive-through coffee operator in Australia. And his company is also behind the highly successful Puck Press, an automatic tamping tool. Welcome, Brett. Thanks for having us on, Jeffrey. I wonder if you could maybe set the scene of how important is drive-through in Australia? Look, in the 20 years that I've been doing this, you know, we've seen a number of large players, you know, the McCafes, the Coffee Club in our region in the southeast Queensland part of Australia. And what's amazed me in the in those years is just seeing the sheer volume 
of coffee that now goes through those stores. You know, we've got McCafe is one of our largest clients here in Australia with nearly 1,200 stores. And I think particularly during COVID, you know, we saw a massive gravitation towards drive-through, even though drive-through was already growing at 20% plus per annum. Some chains that we deal with, you know, saw 50% and up increase in their sales revenue from their drive-through windows alone. You know, and we've seen brands even with under a hundred stores hit valuations of over six hundred million dollars. So we can definitely see that there's money in the drive-through coffee chains, and there's been similar valuations in U.S. companies as well. So we see if that's the sort of valuations coming in with some of these large chains, and we see what's happening in the next five years with growth, it is very significant. If you speak to any expert in the coffee industry right now, they'll agree that a drive-through is the next big growth area over the next three to five years. The prevalence of higher quality specialty coffee in Australia, you know, one might question whether Australians actually want to get their quality coffee via a vehicle. I wonder if you could give us some background into sort of the Matt Cafe brand and their sort of their quality coffee are offering relative to overall market? You know, one of their leading drivers is, you know, their barista coffee. I think when the McCafe started, they were very much a super automatic coffee machine business driven by the efficiencies of super automatics, but realized reasonably quickly, you know, after the first four to five years of the McCafe brand kicking in, they went, well, you know, Barista coffee is such an icon in Australia. And I think what they realize that, you know, if they're going to go after that consumer that does want a barista coffee, then they had to go down the path of producing a barista quality coffee at scale. So I think if you look at their 25 plus years in the cafe in Australia and the rate, the run rates of growth right now, they're still growing at 15% per annum in coffee alone. You know, they control over 20% of the total coffee sales in the Australian market with a goal of hitting 25% in the next two years. That's the CEO's new target for the business. So, you know, with that comes a lot of pressures in getting the coffee quality more consistent as you're scaling from, let's say, 600 to 700 coffees a day to a 1,000 a plus out of a drive-through window. And that's part of the, you know, our operational side of our business is working with these bigger companies in producing different technology that can speed up that process without necessarily going back into a super automatic type arrangement. So the goal for us is you know, we need to keep innovating. We've got milk systems that we're working with them on. We've got telemetry products that we're testing with them in the market now and, and having very high success rates, you know, to monitor that quality that's being produced. Because when you've got 1,400 stores and you're trying to maintain consistency across them, unless you can measure what's happening at a granular level at each store, it's very difficult to grow. So we work very closely with them. In Australia specifically, are you seeing any sort of niche operators? Yeah, no, it's, an, it's a really interesting point and it's conversations I've had with many of our larger roasting clients and said, well, 
Why is it that we're not seeing this level of scale in drive-through with specialty coffee? And, you know, there's a few boutique guys out there doing it, but we're talking very small operators. We're generally talking up to 10 stores maximum, and they're very much in certain pockets. So there's no national people actually doing that. So I think there's really is a tremendous opportunity for somebody to bring specialty into a drive-through scenario. So I think, yeah, watch this space. I think you'll see that happen in the next few years. I'm sure somebody would be working on something at the moment, knowing that the current success rates through some of these larger chains. I mean, yeah, the profitability of these guys is is nothing short of insane. So I think for somebody to do that in specialty, you know, it will definitely happen. How many coffees would a, a really, really great site produce in an hour, say? Yeah, they'll push up to about 120 to 140 per hour, Wow, um, which is really significant. And the timing, so if they can shave 10 to 15 seconds off per drink, it's all about speed. I mean, the new grinders that they're putting in now, their grind time from six seconds down to 3.5. So every metric within that business is now is being pushed to its limit. So the only way now for them to go is more heads on the coffee machines and obviously higher output milk production, which is what we're working with them on. So I think that's where we see the opportunities and you know the investment in these drive-throughs now is becoming more significant than it's ever been. These beverage cells that they run in these drive-throughs and the technology that they're running to push you through quicker is going to be really interesting. There'll be a whole lot of new drive-through technology that we'll see over the next few years to basically speed up those cars through the lanes because the limitation now is not the coffee making or the food making, it's actually the size of the drive-throughs themselves. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the next few years as well. So sounds like fantastic things happening in Australia. Any comparisons with the US market? Are there any nuances between the way drive throughs done in Australia versus in the US? The biggest thing we're seeing now is that the sites are becoming much smaller. So the, the main thing with that is obviously your investment costs in getting in are substantially lower where you may have you know, initially gone in and spent a million dollars on a drive through Right now with the size of them, they can get in at half a million dollars. We're seeing a massive uptake from these big, massive restaurants and large dining areas, you know, a third or a quarter of the footprint that they used to use, and it's just all drive-throughs. So the, the smaller the store footprint, the bigger amount of laneways that you can run. Um, and we're doing a project with somebody at the moment that wants to, 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 you know, to deliver milk-based coffees to you from the order point to delivery to your vehicle window in one minute. Now, just to finish off here, what do you have to get right in making a drive-through successful? You know, locations are paramount as far as obviously the right traffic, passing, you know, obviously the choice of sites is critical and negotiations on on your space is critical. And we're working with a company on a, on a new concept in the States that's looking at drive-through um, and EV charging. So, you know, one of the biggest growth markets at the moment is EV and you know we saw a synergy with a company over there and we've been working with them on producing a product that's similar size to a container so it's about that 
that 20 foot by 10 foot dimensions, really easy to build and replicate really quickly. Very simple to site. These things will be obviously would come with a full EV charging station for up to four vehicles and eight in certain ones. But you know, the interesting thing with that is you've now got to be providing the the end customer a little bit more. So as EV becomes a big component and people are sitting there for 30 minutes to an hour and a half doing a fast charge, coffee will become part of that equation. So I think that's going to be an interesting concept. Another consideration obviously is the quality and the speed of service. So, you know, products, whether or not they go down the line of of super automatics or they go down the line of traditional Brewster type offers, you know, the choice in machinery becomes pretty paramount. But I think, you know, if I look at my background in super autos, I think, you know, your biggest factor with super automatics is you sort of taking away that barista type feel and, and there'll be people that'll argue both sides. And I think there's a case for both, but it'll come down to the operator and what they choose to run with it for their particular application. But the ultimate goal is we want to reduce the training issues and we want to maintain the consistency. So the only way you can do that, you have to bring in some level of automation in there and be able to monitor what is actually going on so you can actually train and fix it. So there's a number of variables that people would need to look at, but we look at the growth of drive-throughs now and where, you know, after 20 years of doing coffee, I would say with my extensive experience in this game, that is probably the most exciting part of the industry that we'll see over the next five to 10 years. And, you know, we're really excited to see what happens across the globe, really. Great, Brett. Thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks, Jeff. Great to talk to you again. After speaking with Brett, it's clear to me that drive-throughs are an exciting and potentially highly profitable format in countries with a strong car culture. But when it comes to specialty coffee operators, drive-through has yet to be embraced to the same extent as with the larger chains. However, that could be starting to change. Here's a short snippet from Kyle Glanville of LA-based Go Get em Tiger, who we interviewed back in August for our episode, How to Build a Coffee Brand. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're opening a drive-through, which is really exciting. Talk about an opportunity to do something weird. Um, you know, we we took over an A-frame, uh, classic Wiener Schnitzel building, which is like these sort of Bavarian, cartoonishly Bavarian A-frame buildings, uh, you know, with with drive-throughs on some of them. And we, we got one with the drive-through and I'm excited to, to, to amp up the experience, the customer experience and bring all that delight to a drive-through setting because drive-throughs are dreary and they suck. And, you know, they're kind of like the thing you do when you don't have time and I want to make it great and I want to make it experiential. And so that's exciting. Specialty coffee operators should seriously consider drive-through and I look forward to seeing innovative new concepts emerging in this space. Now, to finish this episode, I would like to shift gears away from the business opportunity of drive-throughs to offer an historical view of the rise of coffee drive-through by speaking with Amanda Witt, a graduate history major at Hunter College. Amanda researched the history of drive-through coffee in America with a focus on Pacific Northwest. Welcome to Fifth Wave. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. So you did this research, this project on the history of drive-through. What were the key findings? So really a lot of the keys were how it got started. So 
a huge resource for me with this was actually talking to Terry Zinowitz, the former owner of Espresso Parts Northwest and founder of Olympia Coffee Roasters. And it was really interesting to get his insights because there seemed to be like three or four kind of main things that were going on that really led to its rise. So you had walk-up coffee carts were starting to build on the supply side. So if you were somebody who's like an aspiring entrepreneur and you wanted to open one, like there was a lot more resources starting to come up so that you knew like what machines to buy. You knew where to buy cups, like all of that sourcing, instead of having to go to eight different places, it was starting to consolidate into fewer and fewer. Mm -hmm. And then also you have this like generation of people who may have moved back to like more rural areas, more commuter areas who had maybe gone to college or spent more time in cities as youth and, you know, had been to cool coffee shops and like knew what a latte was, knew what a mocha was. And then they, you know, were kind of primed then to be able to get one on their drive to work. And also like drive throughs in the Northwest were incredibly common and people tried to drive through really anything they could. Terry's first shops, Crazy Espresso, they used to be photo mats, which were literally drive through film developing. So yeah. you have all of these factors at play around the same time. So, you know, really in the 90s, you see these things just explode all up and down, especially I-5, which is the highway that connects basically all the major cities on the West Coast, starting up in even Canada, Vancouver, BC, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, they all have the same highway running through them. So you see kind of this is like this major like artery where this thing starts to spread from. When do you think the drive-through coffee phenomenon really took off? I would say that it really took off around the early 2000s. I'd say that first decade, you know, it still felt pretty novel. I am 35 years old. So I remember going to drive-through coffee stands as a kid. Mm. And also it was one of my first jobs, funny enough. Mm. You know, it's, it seems very novel, but then they start going into more and more rural places. When I'm in high school in the 2000s, you know, I live off this like rural road in like unincorporated Thurston County. So like not even in a city and we get one off of our own exit. And this is seen as this like bastion of civilization, right? But it really just, just like a drive through where like everything is like a white chocolate mocha or like three types of syrups in the espresso. But in looking at kind of the history, like it really matches up. Like I would say that they really explode when they start moving off of that. I-5 corridor proper. And now like you can be in really rural parts of Washington and Oregon and there will just randomly, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of houses around, but there's a coffee kiosk. <laughs> so one of the drivers, sorry, no pun intended, of, of this drive-through movement, cost of living, pushing people more out, more use of cars away from urban areas. I would argue yes, mm -hmm. because both cost of living as far as people just needing to be able to afford where they live, but also wanting to have a little more space. I know that the city centers in Northwest post the 1980s, mm -hmm. it's just been really yeah. inaccessible for young families to stay in those cities. But if that's where the work is and you have to do that commute, being able to drink your coffee on your way into work is kind of a humane way to do it because mm. driving in traffic for two hours a day, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a social aspect. So, you know, another thing about the coffee carts is they tend to employ in general, like generally speaking, very bubbly young women. And you're not building a strong relationship because it's a very short interaction, but there is that like familiarity day to day. Another thing I was thinking about too yeah. is like, 
and especially after spending more time outside of the U.S., is we're like really obsessed with personal space. And so I think that the idea of consuming food and beverages in our car is a little less perverse to us because we think of the car as this very like personal and kind of like a space with a sanctity that I don't necessarily see people espousing the same like kind of poetic, you know, emotional ideas about elsewhere. So I think that's something that may have also led to our like love of drive-throughs is just being like, oh, we can be in like my space and like my car Mm -hmm. is an extension of my bedroom or my Mm -hmm. house, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, There is another aspect that I didn't mention is that it rains all the time in the Northwest. Like it's a stereotype, but I remember when I was young one time, we had something like 106 days of rain in a row. And so it's like, of course you don't want to get out of your car, especially if you have kids, you have to like wrangle them and all their stuff. Like, Yeah. I remember on one specific visit to Seattle, the taxi driver told me, you know, there's, there are two seasons in this uh, city and one is rain and lots of rain. Yeah, I was going to ask, why did this phenomenon actually start in Pacific Northwest and why Portland? So Portland and Seattle are both places that import a lot of green coffee and historically have been part of roasting for the U.S. So even before espresso was very big, coffee consumption there has always been very integral to the identity. And also it grew from walk-up stands. So both Portland and Seattle had a lot of uh, walk-up espresso shops. How efficient are drive-through in a sense that, you know, you've got to move a car, you know, you can serve one customer at a time or is it, yeah, you know, or is it highly efficient in terms of getting enough throughput to be able to pay the barista, to be able to pay the coffee, be able to pay the space? Yeah. So it's definitely efficient. Like you can get some lineups, but get through them fairly quickly. Mm. One uh, good thing to notice is that on most carts, you can actually order from two windows at once. Okay. So that allows you to kind of stagger. So like you have people essentially forming the line and then one person will pull around and the other person will be on the other side of you. And so you can take an order and then take another order and then kind of either build the drinks at the same time or stagger them. You know, then once you hand someone their drink, you already have the other person ordering at window B. Mm. When I was on my great big road trip this summer um, and some of the Dutch bros, if they had multiple employees, somebody would come out with like their iPad ordering system and, you know, plunk in orders for their colleague inside. And that's making things so much faster. What's your views on the boutique small specialty players? Do you think there's a role for them to play in drive through I think so. I think especially in places like LA or, you know, within the cities, I think that definitely will have its place. I think that the speed by which a line needs to move for the average commuter who's not drinking it as a novelty, like I don't know if we have quite adapted that technology in a way to make a, you know, capitalist specialty drink consistently in those time periods. Mm -hmm. So I think that there will be, you'll see a little more of it. Something I talked with Terry about is how they really tried to do that with some of their stands, but it was really just about what the commuter wants versus what somebody craving like a really good, like cup of specialty wants, right. Mm -hmm. Is like, you know, there's the time it takes to make it. And also kind of that, like when you're driving and you want something, it's kind of like big and sweet. (laughs) So, you know, there's like this push and pull. So future of drive-through in America. 
don't know. I think it's just going to be more of America having them. I think that it's a pretty kind of stable business model. I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of a retraction in them, but I don't know. I feel like you're, you know, we're always saying that like, oh my gosh, there's so many of these things opening up. But I think that a lot of what I've seen from the drive-throughs, they are very similar Mm-hmm. in their coffee and coffee offerings now as they were yeah. about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they're customer-based minds, right. except more nut milks. Yeah, I think what you're actually saying, saying it's, it's so mainstream now. Yeah. Amanda, thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed our historical road trip. And if you want to hear Amanda's podcast episode, we've linked it in the show notes. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Links in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's track from one of our former winners of the Coffee Music Project, Richard James, with his song, The Great Outdoors. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. Change the channel, change the model